Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's football commercial season. Become a USA Today Ad Meter panelist and watch and rate the big game commercials. You'll be entered to win a trip to the big game in 2022 just for registering. Sign up now and see official rules at admeter.usatoday.com. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Hey everybody, welcome to The Counter. I'm Chris Corman of For The Win, joined as per usual by uh, Steven Ruiz and Charles McDonald. Guys, what's up? How's your, how's your, uh, I don't even know what to call this week, the week before the week before the Super Bowl. Uh, how's it been so far? Just trying to get to the end of the week. <laughs> I was I was about to say, did you almost forget who you're normally joined by on the podcast? You started there. I, I always honestly, I have to, I have to try to remember which one of you I mentioned first the last time because I don't want to slight either of you. I don't want to create like animosity between you. <laughs> well, good because I'm keeping score. Because Stephen, you still have, I think you still have lead NFL writer in your bio, and like, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I don't know anymore. <laughs> PSA. I'm just, you know, there's a competition, man. It's someone, a, not, you're not a QB. I'm not just going to hand you the starting job. Someone, someone, uh, mentioned that they told me, they told me I was a backup NFL writer now because oh, Chuck yeah. joined. Oh, yeah. I was like, I, I like, I'm fine with that. I don't care. <laughs> Who was that? Someone. It was just some random dude on Twitter. Yeah, some random. I like a Bills fan. <laughs> now you know my burner. All right, cool. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we, you know, we're not going to talk too much about the uh, Super Bowl this week. We have uh, an exciting slate of stuff next week, which we'll tell you about. Uh, this week, we're going to dig in on this Texans situation because it somehow keeps getting uh, weirder and worse. Uh, just when you think it can't possibly be more of a mess it it finds a way to get there so we'll talk about that and then we asked for questions from you guys on twitter we got a lot and we are going to try to dig into as many as we can uh, we sort of organize them by topic we have a bunch about qbs and the qb situation uh, it's as we've said on this show it's shaping up to be the wildest off-season qb carousel that we've ever seen by a lot uh, so we have some questions about that some other draft related questions offseason related questions a few that are directly related to the super bowl and then a uh, friend of the pod mina kimes has come in with the best question which i will save for last i think steven well i mean steven's gonna hopefully, it's like, definitely the best we'll probably How dare get you a seven minute soliloquy from steven <laughs> thoughts on cartoons so um so we'll dig into all of that uh, as we go, the the Texans. So I don't even know where to begin with this. The Deshaun Watson has officially requested a trade. Adam Schefter reported that this morning. Apparently, the request came weeks ago, which is no surprise to anyone who's been following the story. It was clear that Watson wanted out. Uh, he, you know, he appeared in, in an Instagram photo in an Atlanta Falcons jacket. So, uh, and he was he was tweeting cryptic 
lines from songs and I'm making it pretty clear, but it is official. And that comes in the wake of uh, Wednesday night. The Texans announced or it was broken that they had hired David Culley, uh, who, uh, you know, honestly, he was the passing game corner coordinator for the Ravens this past season. Um, I, you know, live in Baltimore and, and pay some attention to uh, the news and like people were repeatedly asking John Harbaugh, like you're not going to lose anyone. Right. And Harbaugh's like, no, we're not going to lose any of our assistants. We, I wish they, I wish they were going to get a good job, but uh, we're going to be back and it's going to be fine. And then David Culley, who I, I would imagine that 75 to 95% of Ravens fans had no idea that David Culley was on staff with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, he'd only been there a year. I have no, I had no idea who he was, and I get right. paid to talk about the league. You know what? I, I thought there was a dude who got, I think, got hired by the Jaguars that had a similar name, and that's yeah. what the whole time. I'm like, wait, same. What? By the Jaguars already? Yeah, I, same. You know, this is a very. I, first of all, David Coley is 65 years old, which bucks, <laughs> bucks the trend of young offensive geniuses getting coaches. He is a black. He is. A, he's a. Black coach, so at least we we have that right. And I think he was one of the first black QBs to play in the SEC. Yeah, uh, he was one of the first to ever play at Vanderbilt. At Vanderbilt, okay. Uh, so I think he, I think in the there's an article on Chiefs.com which is pretty interesting where I think he said he was the first one to not get moved to another position upon arriving the camp. Uh, yeah, that that sounds yeah. right. Okay, and also I found the other guy I was thinking of Joe Cullen. Is the Ravens defensive line coach that got hired by the Jaguars to be their defensive coordinator? Right. Uh, so, David Coley, the interesting thing about him is he has coached for a long time, uh, but he has not actually been an offensive coordinator of, or, or you know, in in a coordinating role since he was at Texas El Paso in eighty nine ninety. Uh, he's been a wide receivers coach in, at Texas A&M and with the Bucks, Steelers, and Eagles. Uh, so he he's part of the Andy Reid tree in a lot of ways. He is a, an Andy Reid guy. Uh, you know, we've all been obviously looking at Eric Bieniemy as the Andy Reid protege who would g- move up into a job this year. Um, but Cully has also obviously worked for. Uh, he was with Sean McDermott, who's also part of that Reed family. And then most recently, like I said, he only joined the Ravens in 2019, but has worked with Harbaugh. So he's worked with some good coaches. Steven, I think you have a pretty unique take on this and I'm interested to hear what Charles has to say about it too. Uh, how, how did you, what was your first reaction to this sort of out of, I, I, I literally, I don't know that I'd seen this name mentioned as a potential head coach this year anywhere. So it can't really came out of the blue. What was your reaction? Uh, my initial reaction was like it was just who, and then it, and then as I looked up his Wikipedia page, I was like, what, why, why? But I've said this a couple times during the offseason. Like we have no idea who's going to be a good head coach and who's not going to be a good head coach. We've seen guys that have called plays just crap the bed when they get a chance to be a head coach. That we've seen right. guys that haven't called plays but have been hyped up as coordinators do the same thing. We don't know, like. If he's the CEO type and he does a good job of hiring coordinators and the fact that he's worked under three of the brightest coaches in the league, like Sean McDermott, Andy Reid, John Harbaugh, are all guys that I think are on the cutting edge when it comes to how the sport is evolving in the NFL. Right. I'm assuming he picked up a lot of info from those guys. And if he can apply it to his coordinator hires, then I I think it wouldn't be that bad of a hire. 
The problem is this didn't happen in a vacuum. He got hired by Jack Easterby. He's he is 65 years old. Uh, he decided to keep uh What's his name? Tim Kelly as offensive coordinator, which I don't agree with. And it just it doesn't seem like it's going to work out. But I wouldn't be surprised if he went to another team if it had worked out. Interesting. Charles, what do you think? Well, you know, I, I feel like first I want to say that, you know, after all that this offseason has been through, it is kind of nice to see uh, a black man get at least one head coaching job this right. offseason. And. For me personally, that's like the only real benefit that I can think of when it comes to uh, this hiring. Uh, and you know, like the bringing back the OC was pretty weird because I feel like it, it, I, don't, I don't know if you guys agree with uh, agree with me on this or not, but I feel like if you go back and watch that Houston Texans offense from last year, a lot of it was just like Deshaun Watson just making crazy throws. Yeah. Like all, all throughout the games. So like, I don't really get where you get the confidence with that one. I don't know if that's uh, him deciding because you just look at the numbers and say, oh, this must have worked. And you bring him back. Or if that was uh, Cal McNair. Uh, but I, what's interesting to me about this hire is like, usually you're like around this time, like whenever you're a fan or, you know, someone running these teams, like you're really just, trying to play the long-term like with all these hires, like just trying to sell it as like this long-term thing that's going to work out. Uh, you know, maybe things didn't work out last year, but we got our guy, we're getting right back on the right track. But like the Texans need, need something to get fans reinvigorated now. And I don't think that this is the hiring to get people all fired up about Texas football. Now, obviously that would change uh, if they start winning games, but like you're talking about an off season where, Probably gonna, you're probably going to trade J.J. Watt. Deshaun Watson has already, uh, you know, formally asked to be traded. Uh, and now, like, you're losing two icons off your team and you're just bringing some guy that, like, people didn't know from until last week. And then, uh, you know, the fact that, like, guys like Brian Dable wasn't even, like, really considering it. Like, I think it says a lot that the top guys who were uh, projected to be candidates this year outside of Eric Bieniemy just didn't really seem interested by that job, which makes sense considering the absolute state of peril that the Texans are in right now. They right. still they still have franchise centerpiece David Johnson though. <laughs> you forgot about him. And the funny thing about David Cully is like a couple weeks ago or during the playoff game when the the Ravens were losing, everyone was like, "Hey, the Ravens need a passing game coordinator." Greg Roman's great about with the run, <laughs> but they need a passing game coordinator, and then. All of a sudden, everyone realized, oh, wait, they do have one. And now this guy got hired. So so I guess people were right. The Ravens do now need a passing game coordinator. Oh, yeah. he's, he's been hired by the Texans. The NFL is such a reactive league. I mean, it's. I, I think that this is so much a product of Adam Gase and Matt Patricia uh, and even Dan Quinn to some extent. Like these guys who were the hype around them was all about what they did in their coordinator roles. You know, they, they were a big part of of building uh, great with Gay's offense and the other two defense. And then they came in and they couldn't, couldn't handle that transition to CEO, you know, or they, they were, they were lacking in those areas. Like Gase obviously was just a weirdo. Uh, Patricia was just awful. Like, I mean, he was awful at that part of the job from, from pretty much day one, He's dealing with the media, dealing with players, uh, being the face of the franchise. So it seems like it's just swung now to like, uh, the Dan, like I mean, we, we we talked about Dan Campbell last time, but like 
I, I don't know what the thinking is there still with Detroit, but it has to be something along the lines of like, he's a guy who will motivate players and oversee the group. And that's clearly what we have going on here. There's also an element of what we talked about with the Philadelphia hire, which is that Cully basically, he has no leverage. I mean, this is a guy who is just going to uh, be happy to have this job and is right. more, much more likely to listen to Jack Easterby and, uh, whatever, you know, whoever is actually making decisions. Um, this had one chance to be a, a, a good hire, and that was that it would convince <laughs> Deshaun Watson to rethink his stance, and it obviously hasn't. So yeah. at this point, it's just really a question. I was, I was three paragraphs into writing a post about how that could be the, the reason why this was a good hire, and then the, the Schefter tweet came. Right. And I just erased I mean, that's it. What, that's what I thought last night. I was like, maybe David Culley is Deshaun Watson's godfather and we don't know it. Like, maybe they go way back. And this is there's some secret here, but uh, that is not the case. I will say I'll say this, like, look at the the fellowship of Christian athletes and uh, Culley is in it and Easterby is in it and Leslie Frazier is in it. And I think there's one more that they uh, interviewed. Oh, Josh McCown. Yeah, Josh McCown. And they did win an award. Uh, Deshaun Watson did win an award from them when he was at Clemson. And it seems like Dabo Sweeney is like heavily involved in it. So maybe that's the connection that they were hoping to that would repair their relationship. But obviously it didn't. Yeah. Uh, what happens next for the Texans? I mean, this is like like Chuck said, this this is a uh, this does nothing for the fans. I don't think uh, I mean, this guy could. He could literally eat a kneecap at his introductory press conference, and I don't think it's going to get people fired up for this team. Um, yeah. So and what? That, that just made me think. Uh, I was just thinking, like, I would hate to be uh, David Culley during that press conference. Like, how how many questions about Deshaun Watson is he going to get? And like, right. like, and what are you supposed to say? Like, dude, I don't know. I just got here. Obviously, I would like to coach him, but he, he's not going to be here. So, like, it, it's, it, it, it's a bad spot to put him in. Right. Uh, because no one's excited about it. Deshaun's leaving. And I, I guess like the only solace for, for, for David is like, there are no expectations on you this year. Cause you're not going to have a quarterback and uh, as good as Deshaun was last year. And he was like, uh, just unbelievable. They won four games. So it, it, it's going to be a long season for him, even if they do uh, end up recouping some of those picks back after they trade Watson, but like you lose Watson to get those picks back. So it's all a wash. Do you know what this feels like to me? It feels like uh, Jim Tom Sula becoming the 49ers head coach. Oh, my gosh. Where they were just had gotten rid of Harbaugh, who was like such a character and figure in that organization. And then they just went with this, this yes man that the front office would be able to control. And we saw what happened. They had just lost a bunch of talent, I believe, after Harbaugh, Harbaugh left. And it, they just hit rock bottom the next year. And I think that's what we're going to see in Houston. I, I don't see any scenario where they're not the worst team in the NFL, unless they get the number two pick and Justin Fields is just amazing. Right. Which is possible. Yeah. Uh, that's a good transition to some of these questions that we got from you guys. Um, as I said, a lot of them are QB focused just because, first of all, our show is often QB focused. <laughs> we tend to talk about QBs a lot. They're most important position in the sport. Uh, and then some off-season stuff, and then finally some Super Bowl-related things. So we'll take those one by one. Uh, I wanted to open up in Atlanta because I know Charles is paying attention. This one is from Mark Zeno, who 
I is he a radio? I mean, he must be he a radio guy down there. He was in Baltimore, wasn't he? He no, was he, in Baltimore. I didn't know he's in Baltimore. I know he, he used to do uh, radio in Atlanta for sure. Okay, yeah, and he was in Baltimore before that. Um, so he says, if the Chargers can move on from Philip Rivers and the Lions can move on from Matt Stafford, why won't the Falcons move on from Matt Ryan at this point? Should they? And he follows up here. Uh, and I stress this isn't about Matt Ryan not being able to play at a high level. It's about an organizational decision to transition sooner rather than later, rather do it one year too early than one year too late. Uh, we've touched on this a couple times, but Charles, uh, what's your feeling on this one? Uh, Matt Ryan has almost a 50 million dead cap number for this year. <laughs> uh, and I think that's really it. Uh, and, and honestly, I don't I don't think they need to move on from him. Uh, I, I think. I mean, the scenario that I'm hoping for is you draft someone like, uh, you know, Trey Lance, who I just tweet about like every day now, uh, and have him sit behind Ryan for a year or two. But uh, I think what makes this situation a little bit different is just how much money they still owe Ryan. So uh, I I think that's the only thing that really makes it different. Uh, maybe if he was due less money next year or was uh, not going to be like an anchor on the on the Falcons cap, then I, I think that that is something they would actually explore. But, uh, you know, Arthur Smith has talked a lot about uh, how excited he is for Matt Ryan to be in this offense. And I'm, I think that, I mean, I, I would be pretty shocked if they ended up trading Matt Ryan just because of the financial hit. And they are already like almost $30 million over the cap. And they only have 30 players on the team right now. So uh, Terry Fontenot has uh, his work cut out for him. And I, I think that Matt Ryan is going to be uh, a part of that team next year. Also, I'd add that like Matt Ryan has won an MVP award with this team and gone to the Super Bowl with them. So, yeah. I, like, I think the closest comparison would be Rivers rather than Stafford, who, like, for all of the stats he's put up, they've never won a playoff game. So, like, that sentiment isn't there. But with the and with the Chargers and Rivers, Rivers' contract was over, and they just let him walk to free agency. They didn't get rid of him. So, I don't know if those are the best comparisons and. Yeah, Matt Ryan still has a lot left in the tank, I feel like. Especially in this type of offense, I think he could be really good next year. And I don't think the Falcons see themselves as too far away from getting back in the playoffs. It's not a complete rebuild. No, I don't think they should either. I mean, obviously that 4-12 and record was a disaster. But uh, I would I would also argue that they woefully underachieved during the season. They weren't actually like as bad a quality as a 4-12 and team usually is. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm – even if I wasn't a fan of the Falcons, I would still be looking at them as like a, a, a regression team, uh, like, you know, going in the other way. With then, uh, right. I, I think they can, you know, make the playoffs if things break right for them. And, and Arthur Smith is like really as good as a play caller as he seems to be over the last two years in Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, if Arthur Smith can make Tannehill look as good as he did, uh, why not give it a shot with Matt Ryan and see what happens, right? Like the natural talent level. Ryan's a few years older, but. Uh, seeing what he can do in a Arthur Smith run offense is worth the one year. And then uh, that's probably what makes it a little bit different is that I, I think in general, we all agree like, yeah, you should, you, teams do need to move on more quickly than they do. But uh, this dynamic and co- combined with the, <laughs> the salary cap implications. Right. And I, I just think if you're, if you're the Falcons, like what better situation is it than to bring a young guy in behind someone like Matt Ryan? Like even if you don't right. take someone, uh, fourth overall or, or in the first round if they decide to trade back like you know you, you pop someone like early round two and not Mac Jones uh, and <laughs> let them <laughs> and, and just see what happens uh, because I, I think one good thing or, or one thing that Atlanta 
I, I don't think they're trying to push Matt Ryan out the door like you see, right? Like like we've seen in other situations. So yeah, I, I think he's going to be here. All right, uh, this one's from Last Minute Lon. Uh, will my Colts be fun if they get Stafford? We know they won't beat the Chiefs, but I just want to have some fun. Uh, a small ask. Uh, this is, I guess, this is how everyone in the AFC feels, right? For the next decade, like, eh, we could just make it fun. <laughs> we just want to have fun. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, what What would Matthew Stafford look like in uh, Frank Reich offense? That's a good question. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I I would I would guess he would change it a bit. It's not going to be what Rivers was running, and maybe it would look more like what the Eagles were running with, uh, with Wentz. Right. And I think that could work. I mean, I th- I think Matt Matt Stafford is both underrated and overrated. I think he's kind of <laughs> he's only overrated by Lions fans, really, who think he's Patrick Mahomes or something. But he's a good quarterback, and I think it, like with a smart coaching staff, and if that defense can you know stay pretty good, I think they'll be back in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine that if you put Stafford with Frank Reich, like I, I would, I would be stunned if that was like a, a bad offense or something. Uh, I it, it's so weird because Stafford he's been in the league since two thousand nine, and like he was drafted one year after Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco, and I feel like we don't think of him as being in the league for that long, and maybe that's just like the cloud of irrelevancy that is Detroit Lions football, but. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, I still don't know how good I think Stafford is. I mean, I know last year when, you know, he and Bevel were clicking, like he can put up big numbers and he's got the arm strength to put it anywhere on the field, but you also go through lulls where it's just football, like where it's not bad, but you're not really getting anything out of it. So, uh, I, I think that Frank Wright would probably be the best offensive coach that Stafford has had over his career. I mean, the, the lines have failed him to a degree. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, if Stafford ended up with the Colts, I would be shocked if that was like a bad pairing at, by the end of the season. I'd be picking them to win the AFC South. Yeah, for sure. All right. Next one is from Linemen Are Skill Positions. Agree. Uh, seriously, though, my question is that with guys like Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, and Jimmy G proving that they are replaceable level QBs, do more front offices start to realize that they shouldn't overpay for average QBs? Uh, we've touched on this before, but. Uh, wondering what you guys think about this at this point. It seems like it without the Rams are treating Jared Goff very publicly. It's like they're just like, ah, who cares? Like, I don't know if he's going to be around. And which the qu- it's, the it's so easy is- not to do that. So maybe I think NFL teams might see the Rams and follow their lead. I don't know. Right. right. The question is, can you do it when there's like the Baker Mayfield thing is the perfect one, right? Right. He's like there's some he's built some momentum, but it's so easy to to envision Mayfield as golf in a few years, right? Like that that the Browns will keep being okay, uh, but not be able to take a step forward, and Baker will clearly be the reason why. So the question is, can a team stop themselves before giving the contract? You know what's interesting about this question is like. Yeah, there were there were a handful of people that were bouncing this idea around with the Rams before it was time for them to pay golf. Like Stephen was one of them, I think. Yeah, yeah, Stephen was one of them. Uh, but especially when you look at the Rams system, I mean, he, he he golf is playing with like kids' gloves, where you know they're they're breaking the, the huddle early so Sean McVay can tell them what's going on, and uh, like they're they're running a lot of the same stuff like over and over throughout the game. I mean, it, it just it, it just made you think like. All right, we know Sean McVay is 
really, really good at coaching offense and still one of the best offensive play callers in the league. Like, imagine what he could do with a more dynamic quarterback. And if you pay golf, you're not going to be able to get that dynamic quarterback. And I think that that is kind of what the Rams figured out this year. Like, man, like, golf's not the worst quarterback ever, but there's a clear ceiling with this. And, you know, they, they've done a pretty good job uh, drafting and uh, with their free agency decisions. So they've been able to stay competitive. But we all know, like, when they go to Lambeau, it, it, it's hard to score. Uh, it's hard to score, like, in these high-leverage situations. I mean, they didn't even put up too many points uh, with Goff's help against the Seahawks. I know he was hurt, but still, like, you see you see the schematic limitations of, of what a player like Goff brings for you. Yeah, and I, like, I wrote that one piece about how when Walford was starting, I think it was – was it week 17, the first week he started? And I said, like, he's not as good as Goff is, but – he adds an element that Sean McVay has never had, and I think it would open McVay's eyes. And the fact that it did happen in J- Walford, who is not good, like he's not good at all. He was like the 12th pick in the the AAF quarterback draft. The fact that he's opening up Sean McVay's eyes and like making him wary of, of continuing to pay golf is a big indictment on a player like golf. And I hope the Browns, who have this like forward-thinking front office, the money ball front office or whatever you want to call it, like maybe they would be the ones that do this. Like they've done creative stuff in the past, but I don't buy it because I think the Browns fans would just revolt. Like I've seen them push back against trading for Deshaun Watson, which is just crazy to me. Right. Yeah, I mean, so much of the problem is that owners and the people sort of charged with making money for a franchise still think of the quarterback as – such a big marketing piece. So if you're getting into a situation where you're going through a quarterback every three, four years until his rookie deal is up and you don't want to pay him like that makes, that would make them feel uncomfortable. I mean, that's part of the Matt Ryan thing in Atlanta too. Like he's been the face of the franchise. Uh, Obviously owners actually make money by holding onto the team and selling it for double what they bought it. Like that's really where the value comes from, but they're still sort of attuned to this idea of like, we need to sell jerseys and we need to build uh, loyalty around the team. And one way to do that is to have a quote unquote franchise quarterback. And like the, the, the playbook has been pay them like a franchise quarterback and declare them a franchise quarterback. But we're seeing that it's obviously not working so well. And the closest we've ever seen, a team do this is Washington with Kirk Cousins and how they treated right. Cousins. And like right. they were ridiculed for the most part in the media. Like a lot of people thought they were dumb and they were like, why aren't you paying Kirk Cousins? Why did you let him leave? And we're seeing in Minnesota exactly why they didn't do it. I thought Washington was very smart for how they handled that. I did not think it was smart to, to then trade for Alex Smith and pay him yeah. basically what you would have to pay Kirk Cousins. But that first part they had, right. Right. Uh, All right. Next one is from Josh Rosenberg. He's got a two-point question. I'm going to hit you with the first one. At what point will the Dolphins have given too much up for Deshaun? Uh, I'll go first on this one because it's easy. There is no point. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, And I think what's interesting about this is, like, I I don't know if this is actually a new rule or if this has been existing for a long time, but uh, teams can only trade first-round picks for the next three years. Uh, so basically, you know, you're talking about three first round picks for Deshaun Watson, which is like, duh, yeah, of course I'm going to do that. And if you're a team like uh, the Jets or the Dolphins and you have two first round picks with you, you might send four. And I, I just don't think that there is a, a price that is really too high. Like, like I guess it's, what's fun to think about is like, 
what would be too much of an ask to get Deshaun Watson back? Like if you're if, if like if I'm the Dolphins, I don't see any player on, on my team that I'm not sending back in the trade for Deshaun Watson. If I'm the Jets, you know, maybe I try to protect uh, Mackay Beckton and Quinn Williams, but uh, just because they have so few, so few foundational pieces. But uh, I think it, it, it would have to be an enormous, egregious ask for it to be way too much for Deshaun Watson because we're all we're all kind of cool starting it at three first round picks. So like I don't really know how much more you can get with that because if you're giving that up, then who cares what players you throw in? Yeah. Uh, you guys did a post today where you ranked uh, the, t- the the teams in the NFL by how much they should want to trade for Deshaun Watson. And ba- basically the only team – well, there's two teams that shouldn't want to trade for him. One's the Texans who already have him. They should just want to keep him. And then the other team is the Chiefs who have Patrick Mahomes. And, like, I, that's our thought about uh, Deshaun Watson, right? Like, he's – if Mahomes is, like, a absolute – like, probably the best player we've ever seen the quarterback play the quarterback position he has to do it for longer before we really get into those debates but like at the level he's playing and Watson it's almost impossible to really evaluate how close he is to Mahomes because of the mess around him I mean the dude's playing in a swamp it's just he's got nothing like the the organization is just so messy uh it's really hard to tell but he's that good like the the, uh, draft picks even even first round draft picks are lottery tickets and Deshaun is millions of dollars like he's he's what he's what the prize you want to hope for with all those picks yeah i don't even like consider mahomes in any of the like when you're comparing players like he's his own thing and nobody compares to him and but i would still say if you switch those two teams when they were drafted like if mahomes went to the texans and watson went to the chiefs i think watson would be putting up similar numbers i don't know if like i don't know how to say that the intangibles would be the same. Like Mahomes just gives you a chance to like, you never think Mahomes is going to lose. You always think they're about to score a touchdown. I don't know if you get that same feeling with Watson, but he he's, I think he's better than any other quarterback in the league, not named Mahomes. And that's just because Mahomes, I don't even consider him a part of the league. He's not even in the same level with these other guys. Yep. I I, I posted something today from uh, Ben Baldwin's box score sites where uh, like it, it, since basically since he's been drafted, Deshaun has been, just based on EPA, the sixth best quarterback in the league. And I want to say the second best was Drew Brees with like it was like 0.23 EPA uh, over the last four seasons. And then Mahomes was number one with 0.33, like just blowing everyone out the water, not even close to number two. I mean, the guy is just unbelievable. I, I he, he You are so right. Like he's he's in his own class and, and that's fine. Just appreciate his greatness while giving love to other guys too. All right. The second part of uh, Josh Rosenberg's question is Saints over under win total with Taysom as their starting QB. Uh, and that's Joseph Brown also asked us, how competitive do you think the Saints will be next season? So those are all. Oh. Sort of <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm ready for this one. How about minus one for your. Uh... <laughs> Wait, how many games are they going to play against former Wake Forest receivers? At quarterback, <laughs> a big question I need answered. Uh, Man, I, I mean, no, the defense is pretty good, though, right? Yeah, who cares? Yeah, that's a good point. Like it could regress. It can like a defense could always regress. So if yeah. like let's just say if the defense is average, I would say just due to Sean Payton, I'd say six. I'd put the over under at six, and I'd probably lean towards the under. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, with Peyton, there's nothing you can rule out. And I mean, they, how many games did they win with Taysom? They would go four and one with him or something like that? Two and one. Two and one. Two and one. Two and one. Yeah. No, three and one, three and one. But I don't I mean, count the Broncos game. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, and like, it, that's the annoying part about the Saints. Like, they're facing, you know, almost, what, like 60 million uh, over the cap from next year? I thought it was like 90 or something, like 100. Like, it's something ridiculous. I always get them in the Eagles mixed up. Like they're the top two, and it, it, it's egregious numbers. And this is going to be a tougher off season for them than normal. But like they always seem to find a way to wiggle their way out of it. And then it's like the Trump tweet: the right. like, how's he going to get his way out of this one? And it's like, oh, right. well, nevertheless, nevertheless. <laughs> and they always seem to put out these competitive teams, even when we know that they're entering off season in cap hell, and they're always in the playoffs. And like part of that is due to you know, how good Drew Brees and Sean Payton have been. But I, I, I just know from watching the Saints for so long over my whole life, like, I, I don't care who they have under center behind there. They're going to be a pain in the ass when you play them. Uh, and, and honestly, like, this offseason for the Saints and the Eagles, like, I'm just fascinated by it because you have like, – there, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to get down under the salary cap. And, like, who goes, who stays, how do you set yourself up to sign free agents? Like, I'm, I'm just – Super fascinated by what they do in the offseason. Yeah, the Saints, the Saints and Eagles cap situation is like the Mahomes and Watson of cap situations. Like the Saints <laughs> is like on another level, and you can't even compare it to anyone else. But the Eagles, they're just as impressive in terms of just a terrible cap situation. Oh man! All right, this next question it was a direct message to Stephen. I assume that it's um, it's from somebody in the Cleveland front office. Based on the nature of the question, uh, they're just looking for advice uh, from you. Let me let me give you a name. Uh, that's the Baker Mayfield one, right? Yeah, yeah. The guy's name is Tweet Deleter. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know he works. That's definitely somebody guy. working in Cleveland. Uh, given the caveats you attached to Baker Mayfield's performance earlier this year, he's a play-action heavy QB and all that, would you say his increased performance during the back half of the season showed signs that his pocket game has caught up and potentially launched him into Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford territory? feel like all the perfect throws he was able to deal from the shotgun with no play action against KC was the cherry on top of showing that in the back half. <sighs> okay. When I say that Baker Mayfield is a play action quarterback, I don't mean like he's incapable of doing anything else. I His process in the pocket is not good. It's, it wasn't good in the second half. If you watch like the tape of the Steelers game, and like he misses a lot of re- easy reads, I feel like. And I've talked to other people who know a lot more about quarterbacking than I do who agree with this. So, yeah, he can make the throws. But do you know who else could make the throws? Jared Goff made a bunch of pretty throws. Like that Thursday night game against the Vikings where he was just throwing dime after dime. When everything's right, they can make the throws. The problem is when – Plan A isn't there, and he has to go to plan B. Unless he has a play-action fake, it's not going to look good. And that's that's the issue with me, with p- quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield. You could say the same thing about Jimmy G, who throws the ball as well as anyone. You could say it about Kirk Cousin, who I think he's uh, he can throw the ball well. All these quarterbacks that have been boosted and their stats have been inflated by the same system. Mitch Trubisky this year had the same thing going on for him. Like the problem is when he has to read a defense, it doesn't work, and that's what happens when you get in, you get put into obvious passing situations. The Browns in that Chiefs game, they didn't start coming back until they started giving Chubb the ball. 
So that was a no, I guess. Yeah, that's a no. <laughs> no, he was he has not been launched into Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford. So Ryan Stafford, you would say, are much better at processing uh, and getting to their second and third reads without play action. I think Ryan is one of the best quarterbacks in the league when it comes to that. Like he does it as well as not as well as Breeze, who I think is like the standard, but I think he's up there with Brady in terms of that aspect, just that aspect of his game. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's why I'm so optimistic about Arthur, this Arthur Smith things because I, I think, I think, like you said, I think Matt still has enough in the tank where you know I don't, I don't even care about getting back to this, like a, a deep playoff run or anything. But yeah, I still think he has enough left in the tank to give you at least a couple more respectable seasons with the right play calling. And uh, and I think one interesting thing about Ryan is like, especially since Shanahan was here starting in 2015, he's gotten so much more comfortable. Uh, with scrambling and running and it's like actually become a part of his game. So, you know, I, I, I think that, and I say this as a biased ass Falcons fan, but I, I just think his whole game is a little bit more dynamic than some of the guys he just compared to. Yeah. Without a doubt. Like that, that 2016 season was like, that was the one time we saw what happens when you put an actual quarterback into one of these offense, like records get broken. <laughs> I mean, you add in Julio Jones and it makes it easier, but I, I still think that supporting cast was kind of overrated, like behind Julio Jones, like Sanu was obviously good at the time. The two running backs are good, but they were still just running backs. Like it wasn't like just star studded cast. Like you see in Tampa Bay right now, I think it was closer to like what you see in Kansas city where you have Tyree kill. Who's just this special receiver, a good tight end and Kelsey are, he's a great tight end. But after those two guys, it's not, it's not like the Bucks, where they have four guys on the roster that have had 1,300-yard seasons. Right. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, next question is from uh, one of our most loyal listeners, Nick. Uh, He wants us to redraft the 2018 QBs. I know, Stephen, you will go with Kyle Lalletta first. That leaves Charles with the second pick. No, uh, what do you guys think? This is... uh, Obviously, still Lamar for me. We're talking. So, so yeah, just to recap, this is the Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson first round in that order. Uh, Redo it for me, you guys, which I'll let Chuck go first. I mean, I'm still taking Lamar number one. I I just look, the dude won an MVP. All right. He's a (laughs) unanimous MVP. He's the only reason why that Ravens offense can even gain like 100 yards in the game during this season. Uh, I mean, the guy, is, he's just a spectacular football player, and he's changed that Ravens team from, like, the second he stepped on the field. And I know that, you know, his rookie year wasn't all that efficient, and it kind of ended in a catastrophe against the Chargers. But, man, like, that, that dude just adds so much to your offense, and he did it from day one. Like, it, it, it was just completely a different look, different feel. Uh, and the fact that, you know, he was kind of the Chargers able- game. They just got out schemed. I right, mean, that was right. just flat out. The Ravens getting out yeah. schemed. Period. And the fact that he was able to kind of keep it trucking this year, and after he got COVID, he was just on a tear. Uh, I, he he's still my QB one from that class. Yeah, I, I have no disagreement with that. Like, I'm gonna go number two. I'm gonna take Josh Allen. 
Uh, I know. <laughs> I kind in your voice. <laughs> but I mean, it was between him or Baker Mayfield. So, so either way. But I, I mean, I'm still of the opinion that Josh Allen is going to regress next year. I don't know how heavily he's going to regress. I don't think he's a top ten quarterback yet in my mind, just based on watching him play. But I do think he's capable of being a top half of the league quarterback for the rest of his career. I don't know how long it's going to last. Like, I don't know why he doesn't hear the same questions that Lamar Jackson hears about longevity when he's just like trying to barrel over guys. And you could say that he has size, but Cam Newton, everyone's saying Cam Newton's washed up at age 30. So why? I don't understand how that's different, except for in one key area. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'll go. I'll go Allen uh, Mayfield, Darnold and uh, Josh Rosen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my, mine look the same. Uh, Allen, the, the, the thing that worries me about Allen next year, and I, I think that some of this is going to – it's going to help that he gets dabbled back next year, uh, the offensive coordinator. But the, the amount of, like, off-script plays and just depending on your offensive line to act like four – you know, you got five incredible hulks up there and just giving him time back there. Uh, I, I get a little bit worried that – the processing is still a little bit slow for him when it comes to. Right. I mean, we've seen Carr. We've seen Carr right. be really great behind a good offensive line. Right. And I think, yeah, you know, we saw Jared Goff do it too. We saw Baker right. Mayfield do it this year. Uh, right. And, you know, I, I just get worried that he's still a little bit too reliant on just being this kind of backyard football player when he has the tools to, to just stand back there and fire. Just, you know, figure it out, Josh. All right. This question is fantastic. I, I am really excited to discuss this. It's a little long, but I'm going to read the whole thing because uh, it's it's worth it. This is from Amina Poco. Uh, something I've noticed as a Ravens fan and general observer of the league are OCs oversimplifying their offenses for their POC QBs. Right. Seen it with Cam in Carolina, Kyler and Cliff, Deshaun and O'Brien, Tua and Miami, Lamar and Roman, etc. Add Russ, and all of them seem to get thrown into overly run-heavy schemes. The offense Louisville ran with Lamar was so much more complex than what we're asking him to do. Second part of the question, is this type of handling damaging long-term? I watch Russ, and I see a QB whose process was never allowed to properly develop like some of his peers. That's a great question. That's absolutely a great question. I've never thought of that before. Yeah, I will say I agree. I I disagree with some of the names on the list. Like, I don't think Deshaun Watson has been played. I think he's just been in uh, uncreative offense. Like, I think they put put a lot on his plate mentally. The difference between bad and overly simplified. Right. right? And I I, I will say for Deshaun, that Clemson offense was terrible for him. And I think. I had people thinking that he was just like some dumb and accurate quarterback when in reality they ran like four passing plays a game and defensive squad on him. I had the same worry about Trevor Lawrence and like him having to stay there for three years in that offense. I think, I don't know, it could still prove to be true that it might have stalled his development a little bit. Like I thought he should have been able to leave after year one just because I didn't want to see him in that offense for two years. <laughs> it's so boring. I mean, it's like the Ohio State. Like it's like a how how Ohio State plays defense. Clemson is like, well, we got better players than you, Rock. We're not going to think about this too hard, and they right. roll you for fifty points a game. Right. I uh, I you know my my first blush answer to this is yes that that absolutely black quarterbacks are put in situations where offensive coordinators are sort of prone to oversimplify and to like 
and think that because of quarterbacks athletic, they also cannot run basic things um, or, or beyond basic things. And I do, I, I think it's absolutely damaging. Especially with Lamar, it definitely is. I, I, I don't know if it's like damaged his development. I just think they're not getting the most out of him. Like for a guy like Russell Wilson, I think that offense just got the most out of him. I don't think right. it like it didn't I mean, limit him. And that's because he he has the height thing where he still can't really see over the line, so you kind of get it. But with like a quarterback like Lamar or Cam, who can right. clearly see over the line and are comfortable in the pocket, I don't get it. Here's the thing. It, Justin Herbert had plenty of red flags as, as a QB, right, coming into his pro career. And the Chargers just sort of let it rip. Like they just – they just gave him a big full offense where he could throw the ball all over the field. And he after did. they almost killed Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> uh, I mean, they, they would not, like, I don't think a black quarterback that happens. I, I, I think that there are all sort of, all sorts of like uh, guardrails put up and well, we have to, we have to let him adjust. We have to let him acclimate. Uh, he's still developing, you know, he's learning to read defense. You just hear all those cliches about a black quarterback. Uh, whereas, like Herbert did nothing as a college quarterback to prove to to show right. that like you just like let him give him the playbook and go. But that's what happened, and he and he was great. But Lamar, you know, uh, we don't know because we haven't been able to see it. But maybe Lamar does the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and the, here's here's what I think people need to to understand in like a rare, very serious point. It's like when you go out into the world, and or, or at least the way that like the world has interacted with black people is you know they were just not seen as as smart as other people and i think what people need to realize is like those beliefs like they of course like they permeate into sports like of course they right. permeate into politics like stuff like that because you know we're all humans and, and working and uh trying to you know I, I, most of us trying to do the right thing day by day but you know <laughs> if, if you're gonna if you're gonna be people that are actively interacting with society like you can't be surprised when society shows up like at your at the front step of your football stadium so <laughs> I, now that i think about it sure like that that question's pretty valid i think uh mm-hmm. and i i don't it, it's it's tricky because i don't want to say like it's a thing where you know an offensive coordinator looks at cam newton or something it says oh we're gonna run the ball 300 times because that's all i think that he can handle i think it's just something that's like subconscious and, and right there's something that you just kind of walk around with every day there's also something with cam where it's like he's such a freak and like a running quarterback in the way that we've never seen a quarterback really be a runner that there's probably some pressure to actually build a run first offense just because you have cam newton right but that doesn't apply to other guys and like on the other side, you have the white quarterbacks who don't get those labels for some reason, even though if you just watch like Baker Mayfield in the pocket, like he was getting comps to Drew Brees before the draft. If you watch him in the pocket right now, he looks nothing like he's just a mess in the pocket. He's not a guy that's going to go one, two, three through his progressions and know where to go and read the coverage. He is the guy that everyone thinks like Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson are. Right. So I think it's totally based on on – race and i don't know maybe the coaches see the same thing and i will say this i do think like from the outside looking in a lot of people including like myself like i don't know how complex their offense like teams offenses are really like it's hard to really judge and compare offenses like i don't know if 
the Chiefs offense is any more complicated than uh, even, I don't know, I'm trying to, uh, like the Chargers offense right now. I think there's just more window dressing. It's a little more creative, but it's always hard to gauge that, especially like as a fan who's not really like studying tape. Right. Uh, all right. Let's move into the uh, questions about some off-season things. Uh, this one's from uh, Gucci Gang Free Bobby. Um, asked a couple questions. Uh, is Pete Carroll the problem in Seattle? Uh, he's one of them. <laughs> he just looks at football and it's in, a, in a little bit of an ancient way, but you know, I, I I know that me and Steven have talked about this with other people, but like the the run the ball stuff is not as egregious as it sounds. I think sometimes I think maybe the messaging gets confused. But I, I for me personally, I absolutely think that running the ball is something that has to be a part of Seattle's game plan, like from a week to week basis. Uh, it, it it just comes like like the, the 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 example that I think of all the time is the. Uh, the, the playoff game against Dallas and there was a sequence where they ran on first down got to like second and eight ran on second down. I think they got zero yards. They ran on third down, got to like third and seven and then rushed through a bomb on fourth down for like 20 yards of Tyler Lockett. And it's like, that's, that's like the meme of the Seahawks offense. You can't, can't teeter too hard in that. Like, you know, we're going to be meat heads and run the ball every play, but th- there does need to be a balance, especially for a quarterback like Russ that like just plays, really unlike any other quarterback that we've seen and have like this level of success to go along with it. Yeah. Like we saw it this year, the let Russ cook thing happened. They let Russ cook and it didn't work out. And it's because they had to find a middle ground. Like I agree that, what was it like two years ago? They were like the most run heavy team in the league. Like that was bad. Yeah. Yeah. But the other end of the extreme is bad too, because, and this could, we could do a whole episode on this, but you start, passing every down and teams don't have to worry about defending their run gaps it makes passing the ball a lot harder that's why on third down the efficiency numbers go way down because teams get into their sub packages they play more complex coverages they can disguise because they don't have to worry about that safety manning the b gap and that's what happened to the the seahawks this year so i don't think p carroll is necessarily the problem and i would say he does more good than harm to that team but he has that one blind spot where if he could just, you know, adjust his priors just a little bit, I think they would be in a good spot. Right. It's not even like he has to do a whole lot of tweaking to his philosophy. Just a little bit, Pete. Just a little bit. And I think I think that – I think they went a little bit too hard the other direction this year. Like, you know, the, the let Russ Cook stuff, and he's, you know, one of the leaders in the league or maybe the leader in the league in uh, right. early passing downs, and, like, it all crumbled by the end of the year. And I know that some Seahawks players have, have talked about that defense were kind of catching up to what they were doing. I mean, I – I don't know about that because uh, I haven't watched all the tape, but you know, I, I think that they need to be a team that that runs the ball well for for them to maximize what they do, or, or right. the team, for them to maximize the team they want to be. Right. I mean, I think we should mention is that uh, Carroll, like they did not retain Brian Schottenheimer, the offense right. coordinator, for the last couple of years, and they're hiring a guy from the Rams. Uh, so, like, Pete Carroll's job is to find people who are going to have a, a better sense of how to make this work. Uh, so it seems like. You know, from as much information as we have, he's doing as good a job as can be expected. He's he's hiring from one of the young uh, offensive genius staffs, and and we'll see how that actually plays out. 
Uh, all right. Next question was, uh, this is from Chris Sachs. Uh, as a Ravens fan, who should I hope they sign in free agency to upgrade the passing game? Galladay, Godwin, or Allen Robinson? Like A-Rob. Just because they, they don't have anyone that can give Lamar like a little margin for error. Like it's all got to be precise pinpoint stuff. And I think that part of that was due just because the construction of their passing game was so bad. But I, I think they need a guy who can just go up and get it. Yeah, I think like each of those guy guys gives them that. Like I wouldn't be, I, I'd be happy if they got any of them. I think Allen Robinson is the best contested catch guy of the bunch. Mm-hmm. I, the only reason I would lean Godwin is just because he's so proficient from the slot, and I think that plays a little more to Lamar's strengths. But I don't think it helps the offense as much as getting a perimeter guy because you need someone to like. You need someone that defenses are going to have to worry about when he's lined up out there, and they're not going to just be able to load the box against Lamar. Like people like use how the Bills and other, I think the Titans did last year in the playoffs as an indictment of Lamar. Like the fact that they're playing so close to the line, that's an indictment of those receivers they have. The teams aren't afraid. If Julio Jones is out there, they're not playing that that Nick uh, quarters defense where the two safeties are like eight yards away from the line of scrimmage. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you can't go wrong with either Penn State guy, honestly. Wide receiver, you. Yeah, and I'll add this: like, even if they, even if they, they draft or not draft, even if they sign Allen Robinson or, or Will Fuller or one of these guys, they still need to add someone pretty early in the draft. Like, don't get complacent here. Like, y- you have one of the most unique talents that we've ever seen at quarterback, and I just get so worried that they think that there's like a level a level of autopilot like to having someone like Lamar Jackson, kind of like the, the Panthers did with yeah. Cam for a stretch of his career where you know that if things really go wrong, even if, save you. Not passing game, even if he's not having a great day pass the ball, like he can still do something that will save your, save your game and, and push you over the edge in some of these games. And I would just hate for them to get like, put Lamar into a Superman role where he has to be that when they have options this year to get a lot better at receiver. So hopefully they go after it. If Chris Godwin and uh, Allen Robinson can make Christian Hackenberg look good and draftable, wow. I'd wow. imagine what they would do for Lamar. <laughs> Bill O'Brien made Hackenberg look good. So that's, that's the real truth of that story, which makes even less sense somehow. Uh, all right, let's get into some draft questions. Um, what type of impact do you think the limited college season and canceled combine will have on how teams look at the 2021 draft? So it's not only the combine that's canceled. It's like basically all workouts of any kind. Like they're the whole eco. Yeah. The senior bowl is is happening. Thankfully. Thanks Jim Nagy. Uh, The, uh, the entire, but like the rest of how this all happens, the whole ecosystem is supremely limited uh, compared to, to most years. What, I don't know that we can actually answer this question, but we can throw out some guesses. Uh, what do you guys think? Of- Before I answer, I, I, we should get Jim Nagy on the pod and, and ask him non-football questions the whole time. <laughs> it's like asking about life. But uh, I, I don't know. Like, it's impossible to say. Who knows? Like, we were speculating all offseason. How would this the pandemic affect the season? And, like, does anyone have an answer to that? I don't after, know. After like four months of watching, it was not yeah. nearly as messy. You know, like we were all sort of like, well, they're not going to have preseason games and they're not going to have as much camp. And like the, the, the product has basically been a lot the same. Like, you know, it was just pretty much NFL football. I, I think what we learned is we probably didn't need all, like a lot of that buildup is artificial. And I feel that's my sense for this is like, if anything, all that stuff led to over analysis and that, 
uh, we'll find out here that like the the results are basically the same with with limited information. We're still going to have about the same correctness to where people are drafted, which is not at all right. Like we don't know that Tom Brady's playing in his 10th Super Bowl and he was like the 3000th pick. Like, you know, we just don't know. Well, I actually didn't know that Tom Brady was drafted late. Right? <laughs> did you did you you didn't know he was drafted in the sixth round? We something that I've never heard before. Yeah, I think he was a hundred ninety nine pick. <laughs> uh, but dude, honestly, my take with this offseason because we kind of partially went through this last year, where everything kind of came to a freezing halt after the combine. And you, know, I, what I would say is don't don't give these teams an excuse like when they mess up because they're just as likely to mess up in any other when they have all the information. Right. It, it, it's kind of a crapshoot and you know, a, a lot of teams are going to make mistakes regardless. So I don't really know if this has any effect on the draft really, other than in, like you might, if you're a team, you might have to do a little bit more work in to get uh, like answers on like what kind of people these guys are. Like if you're not going to have access to as many people as you usually do with the combine, maybe you got to do a little more work around there, but like you're still going to get these numbers on their athletic testing at some point throughout the process. So, uh, you know, if, if your team strikes out and goes over seven in the draft, do not blame it on the pandemic. That's just because your team sucks. How we, how, but how are we going to know if a prospect would rather be a cat or a dog or whether their, their mother is a prostitute? How are we going to get that, that very vital information? How are we going any- to re- find the red flags for all the poor kids from rough neighborhoods? Uh, <laughs> Whether well, they cook or not. You remember, what, like, who was it? Eli Apple, like, didn't cook enough. And then was it Makai Becton that cooked yeah, too much? Too much, yeah. He was, he was yeah. interested in cooking. How and dare you? My favorite one still is back – it was uh, when Kalechi Asmeli got drafted and someone wrote that they were worried about him because he was raised by all women and they thought he might be soft. I'm like – have you seen him play football? Have you seen him play football? That's that's and the worst. It comes to your mind. I think my favorite is when Cam Newton was asked whether he'd rather be a cat or a dog, and he said, "Or no, they asked him, are you more of a cat or a dog?'" And he was like, "Neither. I'm, I'm uh, like a human." And then that was seen as like a sign of dissent. Like they're like, "Can you get, can you believe this guy?" Doesn't doesn't play along. Uh, all right, here's another one that uh, was sent directly to Stephen. I assume this is from I don't even know is Scott Fitterer. Is that his name? The the Panthers new GM. I assume this is from him. Should Carolina draft a QB this year or keep holding off? Yeah, I got this from two different people. Mm. And uh, it depends on who's there. Probably just hold off. Like, I don't want another Will Greer on the Panthers. Like, we don't draft Mac Jones or Kyle Trask or any of those (laughs) white SEC guys, please. Just if you can't get either – like, Lance is the – that's worst-case scenario for me. Anyone below Lance, I don't want. I'm not interested in trade for Watson. Do that. That's better. Yeah. And honestly, I don't even know if Trey Lance is a great situation for the Panthers or Trey Lance, because if Teddy Teddy comes out and starts struggling, they're going to, Hey, Trey, go get your butt in there. And I I just, I, I, as big of a a Trey Lance fan as I am, like part of the reason why I like Atlanta for him is because like, I, I think he just might need to sit for a year. And I don't think that that's an indictment on his talent. I mean, he he hasn't played. He played, he played one football game this year. Right. He played one game, and, he, and he's coming from North Dakota State. And, and I, I right. think his North Dakota State film is really impressive. But, like, he was 19 years old, and we haven't really seen him play since. So I, I just right. think the situation where, all right, Trey, you haven't played in two years. Go step out there against the NFL defense week one is just not really 
what you're looking for there, which is why I get worried about the Panthers' connection to him. Uh, all right, similar question, uh, but for the Falcons. Uh, this is from DTH Mason. At the moment, it seems like Atlanta is staying out of the musical chairs game at QB, which puts them at a really interesting position at fourth overall without a need at wide receiver or a premier pass rusher on the board. What would you say is the best route for them to go? So we're we're pretending like Atlanta shouldn't uh, or isn't going to want to draft Trey Lance. Or, yeah, or, or Zach Wilson or something like that. Yeah, right. Uh, what what do you think they would they should I, I think you have to trade down. Uh, yeah, of course. You have to because, I mean, just think it, and it's, it's, it's just more about the players that are in this draft more than anything because – And the teams about, that need QBs. Right, and, and all the teams that need QBs. You can, you can get a huge haul for number four. In this, in this draft, like, you can get a huge haul number four. Uh, and I think what, what – uh, I lost my train of thought, but uh, oh, going back to the draft. Uh, the players at the top of the draft, like they don't really fit Atlanta's need. Like we're talking about, you know, Jamar Chase or Devonta Smith. Well, you got Julio and Calvin Ridley. Take, taking a receiver four would be crazy. You're talking about uh, Sewell, the offensive tackle from Oregon, and Slater, the kids from uh, Northwestern. Well, you just paid Jake Matthews, and two years ago you picked Caleb McGarry in the first round. Uh, and I, I, I can't be. Under any situation that taking Micah Parsons, I was about to say, is a good idea. I, I, I've watched Micah Parsons tape. I think he's a great football player. But if I'm going to take an inside linebacker top five, he's got to be like Ray Lewis right off the bat. So yeah, and there's also isn't there like off field concerns with him? Uh, you, guys yeah. know I can, you guys know I can mute you, right? <laughs> he's outrageous. Micah Parsons is incredible. No, he's a great player. Okay, you can use the you can use the top five you, you can use the top five pick on problematic Isaiah Simmons if you want. But All right, I wouldn't. Here, also, also with the Falcons, like they paid Deion Jones and they've got Foye Luakun who's been balling right next to him, especially this past season. So, I, I, if you're not going to take a quarterback, you got to trade down. Those are your only two options to me. I would agree with that. Or just say screw it and take the uh, one of the North Carolina running backs. I would vomit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. I think we I think we're moving on to actual Super Bowl questions. We are. This is from Klepto Kleptolia. Uh, should we be long on the Chiefs O line versus Bucks D line, or should we be short uh, Brady versus the Chiefs secondary? And can Reed option Mahomes to the boundary, or should he hedge with Kelsey to the intermediate middle? And does Arians put or call Evans after those drops or worse? Green Bay. This is some. Uh, this, Steven said not to ask stock questions. These these are some stock terms. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I was wondering. I was like, what is this long or short? Uh, yeah, I think the Bucks line, Bucks defensive line is going to be a problem for the Chiefs O line, which is just banged up. I don't even think that's a hot take. Uh, I got to work through these other questions. I guess Chuck can weigh in on that too. All right, can you read it back again. Uh, it's basically: are, Should we be worried about the Chiefs O line versus the Bucks D line? No. No, because you have Patrick Mahomes. What about all right? Uh, yeah, exactly. What about Brady versus the Chiefs secondary? I think the Chiefs secondary is is really good. Like, there's no stars at, in the cornerback group, but I think they can all play, and they have depth. And Spags does a good job of putting them in good positions, like we talked about uh, earlier in the week. So, I think Chiefs secondary might have an advantage there, actually. I'm yeah. going with hedging. I'm going hedge Kelsey to the intermediate middle. For this next question. I think that's that's the role there uh and the other yeah it's two complicated stock terms that i've been trying to read up about but it's too much I, uh, I don't don't really know 
This is why we're not rich. We we don't know anything about stocks. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to learn either. So I spend too much money on uh, my iPhone and coffee too. <laughs> you you millennial <laughs> you're wow dude work harder pull yourself up by your boots right? <laughs> all right uh one other this is an interesting one if the chiefs win the super bowl how strong is their case for best team of all time uh this, this is an interesting one because like, i, I feel like we, we have, like run wise not playing well like most of the season. Like right. they, they kind of just cruise on autopilot for the back half of the season. They were like, all right. But does that mean they're actually good, game. though? Like, that's the question. Right? I don't know. I mean, that's, that, that's the only thing that makes it hard about, like, to answer for me. Because, uh, I mean, I, like, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, this is this even the most explosive Chiefs offense of the. I don't think so. I think I 2018 think was better. Yeah, the year he won the Super, the, the MVP, I mean, was insane. And I mean, like, but think about the standard that we're talking about. Like, was this year even one of the best? And Mahomes threw like forty touchdowns again. It's just, <laughs> uh, but I, I think that this is definitely the greatest, you know, three year stretch of offensive football that I've ever seen. Um, just because like it, it's just ruthless efficiency year after year after year after year after year. So. That's the more interesting question to me, right? Is it is this the best offense? Like not this year, not the twenty twenty Chiefs, but like the this little three year run compared to like say forty ers the, the Rams of the early two thousands. And I'd say yes. Like I have never seen anything like this. And I kind of remember the greatest show on Turf Rams. And like that's the closest thing I can think to this. And they did not have Patrick Mahomes as good as Kurt Warner was, and he's a Hall of Famer. I think he would admit that he is not Patrick Mahomes, and that gives you just another element that no other team I don't I don't think has ever had a quarterback like this. Right. I mean, he, yeah, he's one of one. All right, and the question I say for last from Mina: uh, If the Super Bowl was decided based on Fox Sports illustrations, who would win and why? I don't even. We don't even know what this question means. But I, I have no idea what it means. This is an easy question for me. If we're talking the two teams that are in the playoffs, one the, the Chiefs didn't really get a lot of Fox games, so they don't have a lot of cartoons out there. So it's an easy bucks for me because first of all, Tom Brady looks like like a fourteen year old boy who did all the <laughs> who did all the HGH in the world. Like he has like the biggest guns he has like a huge chest and he, his face is just like pre his face, his face is almost like as if he had uh, all sorts of plastic surgery to to make it perfect and then chris godwin's cartoon is one of my favorites like he looks like a dragon ball z character <laughs> and then you add in leonard fournette who just got an updated cartoon this past weekend by the way he got a new cartoon his first one had the helmet on but he got upgraded to one without a helmet on it and it looks wow. it looks pretty good and uh, Mike Evans is fine. And I'm trying to think. Of, Ronald Jones has a good cartoon too. So yeah, the Bucks are. I I think the Bucks might be the most loaded cartoon team in the NFL. I I liked the. Uh, How does it, it make you feel that you know that just off the top of your head? Uh, pretty pretty par for the course. Yeah, <laughs> this is like actually like a boost in my confidence. Yeah. <laughs> Steven once watched six hours of uh of Mighty Ducks films and did like a, a very uh yeah, I, I detailed breakdown. So um this is just this is just who Steven is. Yeah. This yeah. is uh, oh I also throw in that Fox Gate did a, a Bruce Arians cartoon. So unless we get an Andy Reid one, which I'm really looking forward to next Sunday, then it's gotta be the Bucks. Easy Bucks. Uh, yeah. All right. 
I, I want to steal the take. I forget who had it, but that uh, that the Ben Rossberger cartoon will just enter the stadium and destroy everyone because the Ben Rossberger I, I cartoon is, take, so. is so jacked. He would enter the stadium against the, its will. That's <laughs> <laughs> some work to do, Adam. <laughs> and there we go. Uh, all right. That's all the time we have. I'm going to try to get this over with uh, and not get fired. Um, yeah, let's move it on. We uh, we have a we have a good uh, schedule for next week. We have a couple things that we're pretty excited about. The oh, should I call it the nerds versus film film grinders? Is that how we're framing this? Uh, if you want, yeah. any any framing like that, let's do it. Yeah, so we're gonna have a, a couple guests come on and uh, offer their from from different sides of the football debate and offer their perspectives on the upcoming game. Uh, and then Stephen and Charles will be digging in on a bunch of different things. Uh, how each team is going to try to win the game. We're going to look at the most significant stats for each team and, and how they inform what we're going to be thinking about. Uh, we have a fun one. We're going to do an exercise where we take, uh, where each team gets to take one player from the other team, uh, which is just fun, but also sort of shows you, explains what each team's weakness and strengths are. Uh, Steven has a breakdown of last year's or uh, this year's regular season Bucks Chiefs game. Uh, we'll get into some prop bets. We're going to do our strategy guide, which we've done in previous years. So it'll be a really fun week of content. Uh, hopefully you'll stick with us. Um, find us on Twitter. Uh, Charles at four Hertz. Uh, Steven's at the Steven Rees. I'm at Chris Corman. Uh, anything we left out guys, anything we want to touch on before we go? Uh, I'm just looking forward to having fun at the Super Bowl. The, the Colts fan. We're just trying to have fun. fun. It's all it's all it's about. All right, thanks for joining us everybody. Take care and talk to you next week. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.